folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics and Symbol, your stock market for sports. Sam, we have a signing to talk about on this Saturday morning. The Minnesota Vikings bringing back Mackenzie Alexander, which will not have anyone throwing parades, but I think is a very good move. And maybe in terms of savviness and smart and clever moves for the offseason, the best that they've made to add some depth to their cornerback group that they were so severely missing last year. Uh, I had the confetti and the balloons ready for the parade too. You kind of just kind of rained on my parade there with that. Um, Vikings don't like doing business during daytime hours. They wait for the Friday news dump and then they, they drop it. But it, it is a pretty good move. I, I think there's a level of familiarity that they have with Mackenzie Alexander and he has with the Vikings, and sometimes players leave. They realize the grass isn't always greener, and he had an okay, not great year in Cincinnati. It was a little hard on him because early in the season he had the disappearance of his father, which was very scary and bizarre, and fortunately his dad was found, and then came back and played a little bit better for the Bengals. But uh, we haven't seen the price as of this recording. I assume this is pretty affordable, and that's the kind of deal the Vikings needed to make. The, the latest number was 8 million and change left on the cap and this probably cost them two or three I would think so I like the depth they're creating and I like that they didn't just settle for Cam Dantzler and Jeff Gladney run it back and do it again so they bring in Peterson who we've questioned um, that deal but I, I think that it does represent big time like status upgrade um, you know, upgrade in preparation, upgrade in credibility. And obviously this move brings in someone with tremendous institutional knowledge. So they're going to make Gladney work. Um, they're going to make Mike Hughes work if he's even able to play with his injury injury history. And now they're kind of back to where they were a couple of years ago where even their backups had pretty high pedigrees. And I think that's what Mike Zimmer likes. Yeah, I mean, I think that this offers them a parachute for if something goes wrong with any of their corners, and that includes the fact that they might just not be good. Like Cameron Dantzler last year had two games that were really highly graded against Jacksonville and against Chicago, but the rest of his season had a lot of downs and a lot of rookie moments and three different injuries. So even though I like his potential, you can't rely on that. And with Jeff Gladney, 
He was seventh worst in terms of quarterback rating allowed last year, and he was playing outside. He was playing inside. It didn't seem like they knew for sure exactly what he's going to be in the future. So just because he was drafted in the first round should not at all guarantee that you just get your position locked in. In fact, it didn't for Mackenzie Alexander when he was in his second year. That's when they played Terrence Newman. And so they can have a legitimate camp battle where you lock in Patrick Peterson to the number one cornerback position and say, everybody else go fight for those couple of jobs and they can have depth and they can have a rotation if they want to Mackenzie Alexander and Terrence Newman at times in 2017 rotated to give Terrence Newman a little bit of a break and I think that was good and beneficial for them it, this is the one that makes of all the moves that they've done the most sense for what this team needs. And you might say, Hey, who's playing safety, who's playing tackle, you know, and, and have those questions. And those are proper questions to have. But if you lose guys in the cornerback group and end up playing Chris Jones, the season is over. You're not going anywhere. And we saw that last year. If you have Holton Hill starting and Mike Hughes starting and guys who are just not capable of holding down those jobs, it can be over pretty quick. So instead now, if someone gets hurt, they actually have a backup plan. And I think of all the positions that you need a backup plan the most for, it's corner because other teams will just game plan to throw at your worst guy over and over. And boy, did we see that last year. Okay, so let's compile our cornerback room. Usually they keep six. Um, if I were to rank them right now, I would probably go Patrick Peterson, one, Cam Dantzler, two, Mackenzie Alexander, three, A, uh, Jeff Gladney, three, B, Mike Hughes, assuming that he's healthy. I think if he's healthy, he makes the team because he's a first round pick. He's five. And then number six up for grabs, but I'd, I'd probably give it to Chris Boyd, maybe Harrison Hand, but I think Boyd is a really good um, special team, or even though he got pretty penalty prone last year, I think um, he does have value there. Do you agree with that, or would you would you alter that top six? Yeah, I mostly agree with that. The Chris Boyd thing, boy, it was a rough year for him last year. And when he did have to play cornerback, it didn't go very well. And I wonder if they look at that and say, maybe the guy is just kind of a special teamer. So if Harrison Hand can hold down that mm -hmm. role, they would pick him over the former seventh rounder. Harrison Hand also, I'll just throw this out there that I remember there's a little bit of buzz for it, and Rick Spielman shot it down, but it was a conversation at draft time. Could you move him back to being adept safety as part of his role as well? Because I think that there was some thought process about his size and kind of how he plays the game that he might be more of a safety long-term. So I'll just throw that out there as a possibility. And, you know, he made a play when he got his chance against uh, Drew Brees. He got that interception. And I know that's just one play. He got toasted a few times like everybody else in that game, but that's more than we saw for most of the other corners all of last year. I mean, how many interceptions did they have as a total unit? Like three. So, you know, I, I'm curious to see what they think Harrison hand might be. And if there's, a role change for him mixed in there but I think you're exactly right that the battle probably comes down to a who's healthy because a lot of these guys have injury histories and then it ends up if Mike Hughes can give you anything then that's good for you but I also looked at this signing Sam as oh okay they don't really think that Mike Hughes is going to come back and be okay and they want to have something in case that doesn't work out. Well, Patrick Peterson wasn't a slot guy, right? And and Mackenzie Alexander is a true slot guy. So now you have two players of your top four that can play the slot. 
and then Hughes can play both if he's able. But you're you're absolutely right. The deadline's coming up for that fifth-year option. I almost ensure or guarantee you that they won't pick that up. So we're going into the final year of Mike Hughes. Um, I think it could be a situation where the Vikings start three, play four. They rotate like an extra guy in throughout the game, try to keep everybody fresh. They didn't really have that luxury a lot last year. Even if they did, the person they were rotating in wasn't very good. I think they can do a lot more of that this year if they feel like there is uh, an injury problem with, you know, any of their guys. So the depth is now set at corner. And the final ripple effect, too, I think we can finally erase corner from first-round possibility in the draft. Yep, yep, I agree. And I wasn't ready to 100% say that with, you know, Mike Zimmer and his history and, uh, you know, only a one-year contract for Patrick Peterson. I do think that in the later rounds or mid-rounds, they will draft a corner and they will have quite the competition if Harrison Hand stays at corner, Chris Boyd, and those guys can all fight it out for the final spot. That's probably something they're going to do looking for someone to develop. But uh, yeah, I agree with you that it's probably off the board in the first round with so many other needs. And I would say just that they need to do this for several other positions, find other Mackenzie Alexanders, whether they used to play for you or not, similar players that have low key average or decent numbers, as opposed to Mason Cole, who has some of the worst numbers in the league, like find guys who have decent and solid numbers. And that's a funny thing about Zimmer and this team too, is, Oftentimes with the defensive players they like, it will match up, especially with the corners, with the decisions they make. Uh, Not always with Shamar Stefan, but I do buy into him being a run stuffer. But a lot of times when we talk about the numbers, it will match up. And then with the offensive linemen, it just doesn't seem to. So uh, I think that this is the perfect type of move that they needed to make. And hey, rinse and repeat this three or four more times with whatever money you have left. So um, Sam, I can't talk for 40 minutes about Mackenzie Alexander and the Uh signing. I'm sorry. I know. So, uh, so we need to get to Matt Harmon from Yahoo sports that joined me to talk about wide receivers, Justin Jefferson season and the draft wide receivers. So we're going to do that now. Thanks for your quick reaction, Sam. Yeah. You bet caller. Hey everyone. Anybody who listens to the show knows that Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with Birdie Golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose a ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro, and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. 
All right, we welcome into the show from Yahoo Sports, Matt Harmon, who once was a lifetime San Francisco 49ers fan, and maybe that's changing. Right, Matt? Wasn't that the bit that you uh, asked fans to tell you who you should be a fan of, and you ended up with the 49ers? And then they make a huge trade right before we have recorded this. So are you an excited, lifelong 49ers fan, or is that changing this offseason? Well, see, this is... This is funny. We were just talking before we uh, started recording about COVID impacted things in life. Um, and one of the very, 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 very unimportant things that was impacted by COVID was the fantasy show, which uh, obviously is the show that you mentioned where uh, in the, for the 2019 season, I became a lifelong fan of the 49ers. Uh, you know, previous of that had been like a dumb Twitter bit, right? Where fans had, uh, had had you know convinced me to be a or or I would just be, essentially it was like really trolling that taken to a new level where it's just like yeah I really love watching the uh, the the 2017 Rams I'm a lifelong Rams fan in 2017 uh, or a lifelong Bears fan in 2000 and for 2019 which of course you covering a fan like covering one team and then a passionate fan base following you that follows a team you know that people just they take this very very seriously so then uh, when someone like me you know, tries to quote, jump the bandwagon uh, during the most successful moments. It really upsets people. And, and I find that, you know, to be uh, wonderful and an endearing experience. And I think everybody, but the few people that get upset about it, find it to be a fun experience too. But essentially since we couldn't do the show in 2020, you know, I, I always say this, man, the, the real art is not finding a good bit. It's knowing when to um, stop the bit. And I think that bit has been officially retired since uh, it would it would have been bad to go from having a show about this thing to then you know bring it back down to just a twitter bit so for now still uh still an unsigned free agent uh in terms of in terms of fan loyalty but so i'm just back to rooting for wide receivers that i like okay it was one of my favorite bits though and the show was tremendous and i watched all of it and i thought it was hilarious and so okay well good luck to you then this off season and going forward finding who you're a lifelong fan of um, well shout out to the vikings fans though because i think they were the one the probably the one fan base that was like no <laughs> don't. like don't i think i think i had several vikings fans like send in videos to the show. Um, there was a little guy, a guy Luke, who sent in a great one. who was just basically telling me exactly why I should not be a Vikings fan. Like it, it was a beautiful. Be- that that was probably one of my favorite ones because I put kept pushing them to like not the final few rounds, but they made it pretty deep into the into the process. And then finally, a bunch of Vikings fans basically had to come and like save me from myself. So that was <laughs> they were they were one of the more fun fan bases for sure. But I was just looking at this the other day. Over the last 30 years, the Vikings have finished 63% of the time as either 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and 10-6, or 11-5. and five. And each time, each decade, they've made an NFC championship and absolutely got kicked in the gut every single yeah. time that happened. Not to mention that in previous decades, they lost four Super Bowls, and then you have many, many other tragic things that go on. So it's really something that you get cursed into. And luckily, I moved to Minnesota from Buffalo, so I totally got it when I moved here, exactly how that would go, and the curse that people have for being Vikings fans. Oh yeah, I mean it is this is this is kind of the beauty of the bit too. It's like see this is why I I freed myself from emotional pain. Uh, I remember when the Titans tried to hire like you remember there was in the middle of some playoff run 
um, where it was like, oh, this is a great game we've got going on right now. By the way, we're going to hire Mike Malarkey to be our full-time head coach. And they just, like, snuck that news in there. And, you know, I remember so many Titans fans talking to us, there, you know, back at the NFL days, like, wow, what do I do now? Like, I was like, just break up with the team. That's what you do now. Like, they, you're in a bad relationship. They don't care about you. Stop caring about them. But – I admire you Vikings fans for putting up with this for all all these years. Yeah, there is something very specific to being a Minnesotan that goes along with it. Uh, but there are defectors who have gone to our east in Wisconsin and uh, decided to be Packers fans. So that does happen. Oh, um, but the reason I brought you on, Matt, was not to talk about your previous bit, but your new thing, old thing, new way you're doing your thing that you've been doing for a while. Beautifully stated. Uh, reception perception. You and I have been doing shows talking about reception perception for a long time because I love it where you watch all the routes from receivers and you chart them and you chart their success of different routes that they run, how they run them against different coverages. And now you've put it at receptionperception.com. So it's easy to find. And you've made specific player profiles that are very easy to click on and, and look at all of this data. And of course, anyone who listens to the show knows how much I like this. But um, before we talk about some of the different players there that you've charted and, and posted, um, how about that Stefan Diggs, huh? How about that? How about that Stefan yeah, Diggs? Shout out to Stefan Diggs. It's, it is uh I feel like last year when we talked, it was kind of like the writing was on the wall that our our time of doing our annual celebration of Stefan Diggs was unfortunately coming to a close in terms of the whole Vikings uh part of it, you know. But at the same time, man, I mean, talk about just basically for for the two of us really like very validating and for reception perception putting that stamp on exactly like this is why this is essentially like why I do reception perception which is to tell folks that like Stefan Diggs is out there performing at an elite level uh, as an individual and he's been doing that basically since the 2017 season uh now he finally uh to has the statistics has the type of season where now everyone is like well yeah of course Stefan Diggs is playing at a top five wide receiver level <laughs> um and and oddly enough speaking of receptionperception.com there's actually a video of a conversation I had with Stefan on the home page figure that's a nice little like a back pad a testimonial for uh for the series but yeah I mean how about Stefan? It was awesome to see him, you know, coming from the situation that he was in in Minnesota, getting that fresh start and really doing what basically no one, even myself, like I, I might be the biggest Stefan Diggs fan out there outside of uh, Stefan himself. Uh, but I, I never expected him to go to Buffalo and have the type of season that he had pretty much because I never expected Josh Allen to have that type of season. But he does. He was incredible, uh, was really just putting – all the things on paper that we've always seen out of him, which is separating, being that top elite level receiver that they flowed everything through. Uh, they were a wide receiver driven offense there in Buffalo. And even with the release of John Brown, they go and sign Emmanuel Sanders. I think they're still going to elevate Gabe Davis and maybe Sanders is the fourth receiver, but whatever, like that is a team built on its wide receivers. And, and the John, uh, the Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs connection was absolutely electric and, uh, you know, no shade to Kirk Cousins, but it was definitely awesome to see a quarterback take 
all of that talent and put it on Diggs and give him that type of workload. Well, I think the shade really goes to Mike Zimmer and the Vikings organization that oh, yeah. wanted nothing to do with listening to Stefan Diggs, whose big beef was that they weren't centering the offense around throwing the ball to him. And then he ends up in an AFC championship <laughs> game as the driver yeah. of that offensive success. And your data and your analysis really shaped my opinion on Stefan Diggs because eyeball test was every time they throw it to this guy, He's open and he's catching the ball. But I think what you shined a light on is he's even open more than that, more than they're targeting him. And the way that we often look at uh, a wide receiver's success is just basically like how many catches, how many targets, how many yards per reception. And now we've got the pro football focus grades and things like that too. But those don't tell us specifically how somebody won and what different areas they were uh, successful in. And I think that really showed us, um, your numbers really showed us Diggs is right. Like Diggs is not just making this up because he has a massive ego. I'm sure everyone thinks that they should throw the ball, you know, their way every time, but he actually had this right. And so, you know, I just, I think it was um, an interesting study in kind of how the team was approaching it versus what the numbers were telling us about how they should approach it. Yeah. uh, Stefan, at one point he and I were talking, he was saying like, you know, all receivers lie, right? And they say they're open all the time. We're not open all the time, but he, as he said, I like to believe I'm, I'm, I'm open more often than I'm not. And I, I basically, what I told him was, yeah, the numbers, uh, my numbers here would prove that that is true. And, and, and you're right, right? Because he was really correct in, in that assessment. And this is, again, it come back to, to why I, I want to chart these receivers out and try to isolate them from the other variables because all those stats you mentioned, yards, catches, even targets, those are all dependent on other variables. The quarterback is obvious. Like, is the quarterback good? Are they accurate? But does, is the quarterback able to read the field and find that receiver open? Does the quarterback know how to function in offense? I mean, you look at Dwayne Haskins. I, I, hate, I hate to bag on Dwayne Haskins, but um, in Washington last year, just couldn't even run the offense functionally, like throw the yards and the stats or whatever out there. Like you just saw the difference when even a guy like Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke, like these guys that, you know, we, this is another thing that football Twitter bags on all the time, but sometimes it does make sense. You know, those guys knew the system. They could run the offense. They could make checks at the line. Um, they could get to that second read, uh, knew the route progressions, knew the route depth. And, and then you saw that offense play a lot better when, like, those two guys were on the field. And, of course, Alex Smith as well, despite the fact that at this point I think Alex Smith is a, is a very, you know, shell of his former self, unfortunately, because of that injury. So that stuff makes a, a big difference. That, and that's just the beginning. You know, the offense has to, like like we say, pass the ball more. It has to it has to open up for these wide receivers. They're just so – wide receiver production is almost just – it's like fake. Like it's so it, – there's so many other things that go into it to, to the point that, yeah, I think the only way that you can really evaluate the one thing that the wide receiver can control is, of course, they got to catch the ball when it comes their way. But first and foremost, they got to run good routes. they got to get separation. And there's a reason that a player like Stefan Diggs and even current uh, Vikings receiver Adam Thielen, there's a reason these guys came from the ranks of like the third day of the NFL draft or the – undrafted completely off the radar range when you're talking about Adam Thielen it's because of hard work it's because of technique you know we're sitting here like why did Stefan Diggs fall to the third day of the draft like how was he able to overcome those odds it's not because he's a freak athlete like he's definitely fast and stuff like that it's hard work it's technique and it's mastering 
that craft. And, and I'm just in some way, I'm just glad to be able to shine a light on that with reception perception. And I think that that's what always um, impressed me about Stefan Diggs and Kirk Cousins too raved about it. And I remember Kirk Cousins doing an interview shortly after they traded Diggs and he seemed pretty sad. Like, I don't think that this yeah. <laughs> has been lost on anybody who's been around Stefan Diggs. And that's why it was sort of puzzling about how they handled that situation. But when we talk about Stefan Diggs, we also have to talk about Justin Jefferson yeah. and how he stepped into the limelight. Just from your studying receivers for, I think going back to 2014 is when you started reception Correct. perception, right? So, uh, I mean, how impressive to you was it what Justin Jefferson was able to do as a rookie? Because a few years ago, we were having these conversations about, man, rookie receivers like Josh Doxson and Corey Coleman can't step right into the league and make a difference. And then now some guys have done it, but he did it at even a higher level where his efficiency was incredible, but also his playmaking when they threw it short to him. I mean, he was checking off all the same boxes or a lot of the same boxes as Stefan Dix. Yeah, it's funny. This this whole situation, the the digs to Jefferson transition, I think sparks and just Jefferson himself as an individual um, sparks so many interesting conversations because it's basically widely accepted and regarded as like one of the most win win trades in NFL history right at this point because Stefan went to Buffalo and was great. Justin came to Minnesota and I mean, he legitimately played like a top 10 wide receiver. He produced like one uh, in reception perception. I, I said this on Twitter earlier this off season. I think he had basically Odell Beckham's rookie season just without all of the flash and all of the national media attention because, you know, the Vikings were just a, a you know, kind of a middle of the road team this year. Um, he didn't have that national catch against the Cowboys on Sunday night football where Chris Collinsworth is losing his mind and Al Michaels is, you know, brain is melting out of his ears. There was no that moment um, for Justin Jefferson, but I think anybody that watched him would say he had that. So in some ways it was like this, this trade was such a win-win, but man, just imagine a, an alternate universe and not to put any extra pain on Vikings fans. Cause y'all don't deserve that. But like, imagine an alternate universe where Howie Roseman knew what he was doing and, and takes Justin Jefferson in that draft video where Mike Zimmer and the guys are like all pumped up. Cause they didn't take Ju Justin Jefferson and the Vikings are left with Jalen Rager. It's like a lot of other things had to be, you know, and who knows if they would have taken Jalen Rager, or what they would have done. Right. But like, so many other things had to break right for this to happen for the Vikings. So in some ways it's like, yes, it's a win-win, but it's almost like you got to, sometimes you, it's better to be lucky than good. And I think the Vikings in this situation ended up being very lucky, although they crushed the player evaluation. Cause like I said, Justin Jefferson, unbelievably good uh, in his rookie season last year. He's one of the few like non-veteran free agent guys I've charted so far for reception perception. He's not on the website, but I, I got details on when those will be released. 76.4% uh, success rate versus man coverage in reception perception through reception perception history, which as you mentioned, goes back to 2014. He is one of only four rookies to clear the 90th percentile in that metric during their rookie season. The other ones, as I mentioned, Odell Beckham, Tyler Lockett, Calvin Ridley, and Justin Jefferson. Those are four obviously really good players, and one in Beckham that was on a superstar trajectory before things started to change for him. And I think the, the most impressive um, metric is Jefferson posted a 90. This is the guy that people were thinking. I mean, it's still like I, I told you before we started out, I'm watching Jamar Chase over here, the 2019 LSU offense, and I still can't believe – that folks thought Jefferson, because he played in the slot in college, was going to have to play in the slot as a pro because 
you see all the route savvy and the release moves, and that, again, is is personified in reception perception, 96th percentile success rate versus press in his rookie year. Obviously, 2014 Beckham is the only one that's higher than that. I, I can't give enough um, praise to the player uh, that Jefferson was as a rookie, and I, I believe, too, firmly that he is on that superstar trajectory. Well, let's talk about that for a second, what we can learn from some of the analysis of Justin Jefferson. Now, I – actually listened to a podcast with you and Matt Waldman years ago where you guys talked about how the slot thing becomes a criticism sometimes and really shouldn't be. And when receivers are only on one side of the field in college, that's when you should be a little nervous because what yeah. NFL offense leaves a receiver on one side of the field? I mean, what this is like 1993? I mean, you, Cliff King, to answer that, Cliff Kingsbury's oh, NFL right. offense. Right. Yeah, that's right. And that's why in 2022, somebody else will be coaching that team. But, uh, you know, like, what is this, Elvin Harper and Michael Irvin on each side or something? I mean, nobody does that. So, I mean, you've seen Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, these guys move into the slot, move into condensed splits. I mean, they do a lot of different things. And if you're doing that at the college level, I think you could do it at the NFL. And the whole idea of, oh, you have to be able to destroy man press, like, yeah, I guess so, but um, not all the time because they're scheming ways for you to get free releases. But the point about his performance against press coverage, uh, even in his first start, which was against Tennessee in week three, one of his best routes is on just a go ball where he destroys the corner off of the line of scrimmage. And that was the thing they worried about. So I wonder what you see in college that you should have picked up on, not you specifically, the NFL should have picked up on with Jefferson that instead, you know, someone took Jalen Rager. Like how did they pass up on someone just because they played in the slot in college? Well, I don't even know how to speak to what the Eagles did at that wide receiver position. And this is unfortunate because I think Rager could end up being a good pro. I liked him a decent bit as a prospect, but you know, I thought Jefferson was right up there with the top receivers, you know, like C.D. Lamb last year, uh, Jerry Judy. Like, I think you could easily argue that Jefferson was a better college prospect than, than Jerry Judy was last year. And I think it, it was basically like, number one, if you're the Eagles, this is such revision, revisionist history and I hate to do it, but it was something that I was saying at the time. Like, he was a perfect prospect for them because they need they just needed instant impact. Like, it didn't matter if he was a vertical receiver a slot receiver, a reliable possession receiver. They just needed someone that could come and hit the NFL field from NFL field from day one and be really good. And we know that Jefferson wasn't just really good for the Vikings. He was great. But I think even the like median expectations for him was he was a pro ready guy. Reminds you a lot of the conversation about Rashad Bateman this year. Another guy that I think is pro ready uh, coming out of Minnesota. Like he'll hit the NFL field day one and know what he's doing. And, you know, then, the sky, you know, could be the limit beyond that. We'll see. That was a deal with Jefferson is that at the very least, I think you knew you were going to get a solid pro. So I, I don't know. What the, I really don't know what the Eagles are thinking. I, I just, it's crazy. Even in hindsight, no matter, even if you liked Jalen Rager, there was no way he was a better prospect than Jefferson. And there was no way he made more sense from a guy that you needed instant impact from. So, you know, when the Vikings took him, it just made so much sense to me because sure you could watch or you could look at the numbers about where Jefferson lined up his final year, but he also played outside earlier in college. It reminded me, and this is a comp I did make at the time, not like a skill comp, but it reminded me a lot of AJ Brown, the the Titans receiver and the Ole Miss uh, college prospect. 
he was a guy that people were comparing um, to Juju Smith-Schuster coming out of college because he line, he was a big receiver who lined up in the slot. Talk about kind of whiffing on both <laughs> evaluations in a way there uh, if you made that comparison. Like Brown, to me, had all the characteristics in college because of the way he would get off the line of scrimmage, because of the way he could separate at his size. He, he was he was going to be a star X receiver in the league. He has become a star X receiver in the league. And I think Jefferson showed all that same route savvy, the ability to separate at his size uh, in college. I, I think my I don't I don't know if this is the right comparison for Jefferson as a player now because he's shown so much more vertical ability than this guy has put on the page but his the way he separates and the way he was he built it was built always reminded me of Keenan Allen and I think that again that's sort of just like a baseline like I think that's at worst he'll be Keenan Allen the rest of his career and like a faster Keenan Allen yeah exactly exactly and and the thing that stuck out to me when I was looking at his LSU games last year I, I watched the tape back with a former NFL receiver and one of the things that he said was you know, he, when the guy gets the ball in his hands, he's just a baller. Like, he looks like he just has this natural running ability. And speaking to your point about someone who could step in right away and be great, even if his route running wasn't perfect, which it was very, very good, and even if his releases weren't perfect, like, even if things went wrong for him or needed development, he could make an impact right away, which is one of the reasons he was so perfect for the Vikings. Now, here's my question for you, though. How does this project forward? Because I think we always expect someone, when they break out right away, to just keep going. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. Like, what, what does your data say about how sustainable these things are and how much that some of them can even be improved on? Well, when you look at the um, reception perception number, numbers, those are very stable. Like, once someone gets to the NFL and they, they establish themselves as that guy – they really only ever, unless there's an injury or something like that or, or some sort of chaos hits their career, they're going to stay stable at those numbers or maybe even take some slight percentage point jumps. I think the three guys that I talked about earlier that, that have hit that 90th percentile mark in their rookie season, uh, along with Justin Jefferson, are good instructive examples. Like, we all knew that Calvin Ridley was a good player when he hit the NFL field. Like, he produced right away and looked pretty good. But he's gotten better every single year, but he's always been that type of separator. Basically, it was like, all right, when are you going to give him more playing time? When is he going to get more targets? When those, thing ha- when those things happen, he put up the type of season that he did last year, really as Atlanta's 1A receiver for most of the year with Julio Jones being hurt. Tyler Lockett's developed into a great receiver, too. He's been very productive for Seattle's offense once he started getting that playing time, once he started getting healthy. And we know Beckham, I mean, Beckham sustained superstar level individual play basically from his rookie year to 2018. Obviously, there was injuries mixed in there. Things have gotten me a little bit weird in Cleveland, uh, of course, since then. Uh, So I would say as long as Jefferson stays healthy, as long as all those other variables that we talked about with wide receiver production stay afloat for Minnesota, uh, maybe if they they air out the football just a little bit more, I don't see any reason why he, uh, he can't continue to produce as like a clear top 10 receiver in the league. And what he showed as a rookie, I think he was, the, I think he was the better receiver than Adam Thielen last year. And that's crazy because Thielen's a, a really, really good player, but that's how good Justin Jefferson was. I, 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 I think he was just incredible last year. 
Hey, everybody, want to tell you about our friends at Symbol. Symbol is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we jump fully into free agency season, you're going to want to get in on teams now before your team's stock rises. Go to symbol.app, that is S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P, Sign up using the promo code PURPLE and get a $10 deposit bonus if you're a first-time user, and then you are off and rolling. Here's how it works. You buy stocks of your teams, and when your team wins, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. If you sign up for Symbol, you also get updates emailed to you directly with the trends on which teams are on the rise. So check out Symbol.app or follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange and check out the Marketplace for Sports today. Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and SodaStick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. Well, I think toward the end of the season, what you saw was the coverage start to shift more toward Justin Jefferson, and that actually helped Adam Thielen at times, who had a, a barrel of touchdowns. But you would see in the red zone that teams would have two guys with eyes on Justin Jefferson, and there's Adam Thielen getting wide open. So they yeah. he continues to benefit from playing next to an elite wide receiver, uh, even though he is very, very good himself. I was going to ask you about the run first thing, though, because it's something that I think frustrates fans quite a bit. And if you look at Justin Jefferson's first half versus second half, not of the season, but of actual game splits, it's kind of mind blowing. Like early in games, they just weren't throwing him the football and then they would get behind and then they would start throwing him and he would dominate in those situations. Uh, And I'm not saying that he was garbage time because there was a lot of clutch catches and big situations that kept them in games basically because Justin Jefferson was so dominant. And I think the Jaguars game, they won essentially because of him taking over. But how often should you throw the football to an elite wide receiver? I think is a good question. I was looking at, maybe it was like David Boston who had like 180 targets one time. I mean, there are guys who have had in that range, 170, 180 targets. I don't think that there should be any limit to how often you throw to Justin Jefferson. And going forward, he should be the centerpiece of the offense, not Delvin Cook, as much as I respect Delvin Cook. I completely agree, and I think the the Bills are a great test case for that with Stephon Diggs. Is you know they they threw to him at a really high rate. You know, obviously the most targets that he's had in his entire career, and great you know great things happen. Like good things happen when you put the ball uh, in the hands of your good players. It really is is is, is as simple as that. Sometimes it even felt like. Many times during Beckham's career, I remember like, man, that when the Giants would go into a slump, it's like, just throw this guy a slant and like see what happens. And you know, there were times when that was all they could do with the Eli Manning offense. So, you know, I, I definitely think there's there's some argument to be made about predictability. Uh, and I think that, you know, at different times, 
maybe the Falcons offense has, you know, what they were really craving that kind of number two target, which is why they went out and drafted a guy in Calvin Ridley to be that. And I think it's made their offense a little bit more um, dangerous. So, yeah, I, I think there's, there's some, there's some discussion to be had about like, you know, predictability and everything like that. It's always good to have a second punch, but to, to funnel your offense through an alpha number one wide receiver there's 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 really no limit you should put on that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that if you're passing to set up the run, it only benefits Delvin Cook as well. That, you know, I mean, he's already a five-yard to carry running back, but if you're forcing teams to play two deep safeties because you're hitting on everything passing game, then he's getting big gains anyway. So, you know, I, I mean, there is a, I guess, long debate over run set up the pass or pass set up the run. But I think after last year and the last couple of years, we're really leaning toward the best passing games are driving the success more than maybe they ever have before. Um, speaking of which, this wide receiver draft is preposterous. Oh, I mean, yeah. uh, it's ridiculous. And I know that you've started to dive deep into the receiver draft. I have been, I've called myself the conductor of the wide receiver three train because I feel like even history tells us this. Like, go back to Washington when they were great. Uh, I mean, not the, uh, you know, uh, John Riggins, Washington, but like early 90s where Mark Rippon somehow leads one of the best offenses in history for the time. And they've got three elite wide receivers. The Vikings come in in 1998 and have three deep and are one of the most dominating offenses of all time. Like, I, I feel like you're one more guy away from being almost unstoppable with your with your weapons. And I don't have any confidence that the Vikings will do this. But based on the draft picks that could be there, what do you think? I always uh, I always advocate for for drafting more wide receivers and uh, obviously going after position. I mean, look at what like what Russ is talking about in Seattle right now. He's got a lot of complaints, and I think one of them, you know, maybe some some sometimes I think Russ could be a little more introspective and wonder uh, if he contributes to some of those problems up in there up there in Seattle. But they have one of the one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL. If not, like I think you could make an argument that perhaps DK and Lockett or top three, maybe even top one at, t- at times this year, I think you could have made that statement. Um, obviously, Minnesota has an argument that they they should be considered the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. But the drop-off, I, th- I think those two teams really perfectly personify the what, what happens when you have that drop-off at the wide receiver three spot. Because, like, you know, who is Seattle's wide receiver three? It was, like, David Moore. They've moved, they've moved on from him. He's now replacing Curtis Samuel in Carolina. Uh, the Vikings depth chart is really barren after um, these top two guys. So I, I think adding a wide receiver three is, is smart. Again, it's just making your, yourself less predictable and giving you more options. You know, not only, of course, if injuries happen, but just when you're able to spread the field and attack in different ways, because then you can move Justin Jefferson inside. And, and it's not about he needs to play the slot, but – you know, when the Falcons – for some reason keep coming back to the Falcons today. I don't know why. But the Falcons would move like Julio Jones inside sometimes. And it's like, well, that's just unfair, you know. For even 24% of his routes or something like that, he's always going to be – there will never be a matchup in the slot that Julio Jones is not the favorite on. I think you could say the same for a guy like Justin Jefferson or even Adam Thielen as he ages into his career. He's played that slot receiver position plenty of times. You know, maybe he is a – a 70, 80% slot player the rest of his career if they get a really good burner on the outside. So I think it makes complete sense. You're, of course, going to irritate anyone in fantasy football that that wants to draft Justin Jefferson really high because there's just not a lot of competition for targets there. But 
being deep at wide receiver does matter. And there's, there's a lot of depth in this class. There's been so much depth in the last two or three classes. Like we all expected 2020 Justin Jefferson and the crew to be really good, but like 2018 and 2019 way outkicked wide receiver expectations. And I think this could be the wave of the future just based on the way football is going right now, not just NFL, but you know, Kids want to play wide receiver. Like, there, no one's stupid and, and looking at the the pro market and be like, do I want to play running back or do I want to play wide receiver? Like, maybe the receiver market catches up at some point. I don't think what happened this year is instructive in terms of like, oh yeah, no one wanted to pay Juju twenty million dollars. Of course not. But like, Kenny Galladay still got the bag. You know, when he got out there, I think if Robinson and Godwin had gotten out there, they would have they would have gotten it. And I think even the the twenty twenty bucks are instructive. Like, they did not need. Antonio Brown, right? And even I, at some points, I was like, this is a bad idea. Just, well, for a lot of reasons, it could be a bad idea. But bringing in a presence into the offense that was not familiar when things were pretty much going all right. You know, uh, my buddy Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Sports, he liked to call it, he said they solved a problem that they didn't have. Like, Scotty Miller is a pretty good third receiver, and they have one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL. But then when Brown started cooking in the playoffs, then you've got three number one receivers on the field you're pretty much like you can do whatever you want. If Evans is having a slow game, you go to Brown and Godwin. So I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, maybe it's not a first round pick, but like, again, talk about depth. Maybe this is something they look at in rounds two, three, something like that. If only they had their second round pick and didn't trade if it for only. Yannick Ngakwe. <laughs> it gets mentioned every show. Um, let me ask you about two, two quick things before we wrap up. Devante or Devonta Smith Gonna have to get a pronunciation guide on that one. I've heard it both ways. But um, Smith was mocked to the Vikings by Daniel Jeremiah. What a glorious day that was for me. Uh, We threw a parade in my house that someone was mocking the Vikings a wide receiver. He's 170 pounds. I'll just put that under goals for myself at some point. But um, what what do you think? Like, I, I think that there's been plenty of receivers that are not 210 pounds who have had success because it's more about, I mean, even uh, Stefan Diggs, I remember reading when he came out like, Oh, he's a slot receiver. And that's him being undersized was one of the reasons that teams didn't pick him so high. So I kind of don't really buy into that, but what is your thought after watching him? Yeah. um, There's no way to avoid like the weight discussion. You know, uh, my fiance who knows nothing about wide receivers or wide receiver build or, you know, other than a few of like the rants I'll go on, I'm hoping she's at least like half listening to half is all I ask. But, you know, she came in, she came up here to the office the other day and I was like, oh, see, so yeah, I'm looking at this guy, Devon Smith. He was like, he, she's like, well, what, what's, why is he so skinny? <laughs> I got just pointed him out on the screen and I was like, ah, oh, he's like 170 pounds, six one. Like that is really, she's like, that's crazy skinny like she even she you know she she knows that right like and again not uh i could tell you every wide receiver built in the league probably i don't think she's at that level and you know what really no one should be so maybe this is back on me uh but look it's hard to it's hard to care when you're watching devonta smith and i know you of course you've got to care right like like i said it's a discussion point and you got to think about it but and it's the reality. Like, I don't think he's going to get into the NFL and suddenly bulk up to 190 pounds or something like that. He's at Alabama. Like that's the best of the best in terms of um, collegiate build. Like, I don't think his frame has much more to just pack on. So he'll probably always be a skinny player at that build, but he's already shown you that he can be an outlier in terms of that build, just based on what he 
what he did. And when you break him down from a route-by-route perspective, this is the thing. You mentioned it about Stefan Diggs and, and size. Size is not, like, indicative of what you can do on the field. Your your play is. I mean, you look at some of the best receivers at, at getting off the line of scrimmage against press coverage that I have in my in my database. It's, it's broken down by guys of all shapes and sizes. You know, Beckham is up there. We just talked about Justin Jefferson as one. Uh, Tyreek Hill is another one. Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, uh, Antonio Brown. Like, those guys are, are – Tyler Lockett, those guys all span – the spectrum in terms of size and and build it's like yeah you can be big, you could be big but if you've got great great technique as a smaller player and you've got great quickness which i think smith has he wasn't a guy that people could press in college you know there was at no point when you know playing in the best conference in college football when folks would try to press him, folks would try to get up on the line of scrimmage against him. He got off every, almost every single time. He's a great success rate versus press coverage. I'll tell you that when, when the profile hits receptionperception.com, people will see that. So, and, and another thing too, I made this comparison on Twitter and, you know, this is like the fifth time I've dropped uh, Calvin Ridley's name on a Vikings podcast. So I don't really know what I'm doing here, but uh, Calvin Ridley was a guy that I think these two are so similar in terms of, you know, Ridley had a lot of questions about how, his frame like people thought he was too skinny people thought he was too old there were a lot you know didn't have a great combine but when you watched him play when you looked at his reception perception profile though I just kept thinking like he's just a you know don't overthink it type of separator I think Smith is a don't overthink it type of separator and I would say right now as a prospect compared to what Ridley was as a prospect I think he's better at playing through power I think he's better like no question better at the catch point like Smith bullies folks at the catch point and he plays through power after the catch as well. You talked about that with Jefferson. Like I think you could give Devonta Smith, you know, touches in space as a, as a NFL player and he'll find something to do with it. He's much better in those two areas than Ridley was. So I have a lot of confidence that he's going to be a really, really good NFL player. But even like with Ridley back in that draft class, and that's why I think this is such a good comp. Like if folks wanted to put DJ Moore or someone else ahead of Calvin Ridley, like I think that's fine. I didn't think he was a, you know, the, the no doubt about it, number one wide receiver. I think if folks want to like Jamar Chase or maybe Jalen Waddell um, more than Devonta Smith, I think that's fine. But I would be stunned if a guy that separates, run runs routes to this clean way, uh, and also just wins at the catch point. Like, there are no holes in his game when you watch him. I would be stunned if that player, you know, goes on to be a... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Complete failure at the NFL level. Hey, everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? 
They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. So the thing that I like about his game the most, and this is from having the pleasure of watching Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, and Justin Jefferson, is just tracking the football. I mean, he's just so good yeah. at it. Like one thing we don't – I mean, especially on TV, you see the – ball get released by the quarterback and then the guy catches it or not. But when you're in the stadium and you've got that look from upstairs or you're looking at the all 22, you can really see how a receiver moves himself to track the football, almost like an outfielder going under a fly ball. And I think that Smith does that extremely well. And then just extremely well. Yeah. Snatches the football out of the air, which is another thing you're going to need to do because you don't have, even with separation, you don't have crazy separation in the NFL like you do oftentimes in college. Yeah, and like especially on high leverage targets, and that that I think that's such a good point by you. The way he snatches the ball out of the air, like there are plenty of off target or out of frame passes that that Smith would get, and I, I don't know his you know arm length off the top of my head or something, but that was something I kept thinking. I was like, man, this guy must have like crazy, you know, a crazy catch radius for his size because this is unbelievable the way he can he can win those passes. I think that was the thing I was most su- surprised by, given his size. I expected him to be a pretty good separator whether he's a good technician is another question but he is a good technician but at his size I expect him to be definitely like a speed guy a vertical playmaker but what I wasn't expecting was again his ability to shed tackles in the open field and win those off-target passes in contested situations and he did that consistently in his final year at Alabama I mean again it it's worth repeating when you watch him play when you put him through reception perception there are no screaming weaknesses from this player. So if he went to the NFL and suddenly, because he's 170, you know, couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. Um, and I, I will say this too, like we've described this earlier, I've studied receivers since 2014. I've not found us any evidence of correlation between weight, height, anything like that in success rate versus press. It's technique, it's technique, it's technique, as our guy, Stefan Diggs, has repeatedly <laughs> showed us. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he destroys press coverage as a small receiver on the outside or on the inside. Uh, okay, last thing. Just give me a 1 to 10. How thrilled should Vikings fans be that Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, two guys you tracked and are up on the website now, are not in the division anymore? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I, I would put it at, at least – well, because Jared Goff would have been their quarterback, like I'll put it at at least an eight. I mean, going from Kenny Galladay to Brashad Perryman and Tyrell Williams is – in the year 2020, that's that's a bit – or 20, oh, God, it's 2021. In the year 2021, even in 2020, it would have been quite a drop-off, right? Like, I, it's, it's pretty wild. Obviously, I think the Lions are in a, just a different, um, different place. You know, Galladay, I think, is interesting because he's like – he's kind of right on that fringe in terms of true number one receivers. Like the, the giants paid him as a true number one. I think if he hadn't had an injury riddled 2020, we'd probably all agree like, yeah, this is an alpha receiver who you follow the offense through, like we were talking about earlier. Um, and, and that will be fine. Marvin Jones, I think is an underrated signing by the Jaguars. Like there, I saw some folks being, well, why does Marvin want to go to Jacksonville? Like, I, I don't mean, I don't know. He's, going to be playing with one of the best quarterback prospects to ever enter the league. That's that's a nice thing. Um, probably better than playing with Jared Goff or, or whatever was going to happen in Detroit. But I think Jones is like the classic like underrated number two receiver. Another guy that is one of the 
people would probably be surprised to hear, you know, someone say this, but I think he's been one of the most consistent best ball winners in the NFL. Just uh, you guys have seen it with, you know, and him and Xavier Rhodes would go up against uh, some of those matchups when he was the number one outside receiver before Kenny Galladay, you know, Marvin could play, even if, even if Xavier didn't give him a lot of separation and Marvin's never been like a, a big separation guy, he would consistently win those balls in contested situations. And I'm sure uh, that Vikings fans will be happy to see him walk out the door. Yeah, I think the PFF grades of Vikings corners will be going up just based on that alone. So people should go to receptionperception.com, and it is great. I mean, the charts that you have for the routes are just so pleasing to nerds who like charts about routes that football <laughs> men ran, right? Like, but it just looks so good, and I'm glad that you, Thank have, you. have revamped kind of where that is because it looks great. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. We do this every once in a while, usually to talk about Stefan Diggs. But now for years to come, we will be able to discuss Justin Jefferson, and you love to see it. Yeah, I mean, shout out to the Vikings for uh, making that. It, like, it's a win-win for us, too, right? Like, we can still do the show and praise one of the best wide receivers uh, in the NFL, talk about his great reception, perception results. We're just swapping one name for another. So shout out to the Vikings for uh, keeping our tradition alive, and shout out to you for uh, c- continuing to invite me uh, on the show. I'm glad that you found the website easy to use. That was the most the most important thing to me is I want – easy use for uh, folks. So if they're interested, check it out, receptionperception.com. The paywall will be going up soon, but everything on there uh, is for free right now. Extremely easy to use. So it's great. And follow you on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. I don't know if we've ever gotten into the underscore issue, but we won't now. So um, we'll talk about that next time, I think. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.